0: Hello, and welcome to The Oscar Went To, the podcast that looks back at a year in film and sees what films endured, what films didn't, and attempts to figure out why. Please, give it up for your masters of ceremony, Max Salim and Nick Mastad.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Oscar Went To. This week is a supplement to our 2007 episode. We're gonna get our scuba gear on, Deep Dive into Michael Clayton, directed by Tony Gilroy. I'm Max. I'm Nick. Okay, so just some housekeeping to get out of the way. On this podcast, we like to look back at a year in film and decide what has aged well and what hasn't aged well and try to figure out why. If that sounds like an interesting premise to you, jump back a few episodes to our 2007 episode where we'll do just that. And then after our recaps, you know, our, our imagination, our interest is, is piqued by some of the films we're talking about. And we go into a deep dive. Quick disclaimer, our deep dive episodes are no holds bar and we absolutely get into spoiler territory. So if you've never seen Michael Clayton and you'd like to see it, this might not be a good episode to start with. You know the expression no holds barred, I, by the way, I, where this I, comes from? Because no. I think I've been saying it wrong my whole life until I just looked it up.
0: Yeah. Because I've always said no holds bar." I've see it's out. Al- it's always been either no holds bar or no hold holds barred, and I don't know which one it is. So I've I've always tried to land somewhere you know uh, audibly in between those, so as not to be wrong. You just sort of trail off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. a bit of a no holds you know barred. <laughs> did you Did you look up the meaning of it? It's a wrestling term. I looked it up. Yeah, it's a
1: wrestling term. So uh, it's like you can do any type of hold. None of them are barred.
0: Oh, that's. That's perfect. I thought it meant that um, it has something to do with Shakespeare, like No Holds Barred. uh, There was a joke there, and I didn't find it. Um. Well, if you're finding this conversation interesting, join
1: us on our (laughs) other podcast where we look back at old sayings and try to deduce where the hell they come from.
0: Our our next episode in that podcast, we dissect, is it butt naked or buck naked? And it's a whole hour long, so yeah, it's 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 longer. And um, but it's it's worth noting that there are like fifteen minute pauses in between conversation because we're <laughs> kind of thinking, are we're, we're researching. Yeah, that's that's another rule of that podcast is we dissect commonplace sayings, but but no research beforehand. All
1: right. All right. Without further ado, let's talk about Michael Clayton, a film that is largely absent from not only our top five lists of 2007, but pretty much from from conversation, if I recall.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say this film like fits kind of perfectly for a, a deep dive just because. You had seen it like once a while ago. I had never seen it yet. It was like very prevalent in the award season from that year. So it, it it feels like kind of ripe territory, uh, for us to 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 approach the film and just kind of be to 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 experience it fairly fresh. I had seen this film once
1: before, and I believe it was. I don't I don't recall seeing it in the theater, but it might have. It must have been around when it came out.
0: Yes, yeah, that makes sense. Because I mean, I remember this movie being—I uh, mean, it was it was very saturated in 2007, especially the award season. Like it was, at you know, it was a, it was a prominent force and at, at all the award shows and uh, had a lot of buzz. I also
1: remember the buzz during the award season, but I don't remember a lot of love for it when the film actually came out. Do you know when it was released exactly? Uh,
0: um, it was released on it was released in the united states on october 5th 2007 so so snugly in uh, the award season but i don't remember i mean it's one of those movies where it it, it feels like it was a small movie that was very uh, well received and that's it didn't didn't really become well known until like word of mouth spread and then like the award season started kind of throwing accolades its way at least nominations wise um, and that's when it really took off. And
1: yeah, I, I do feel like this is a bit of a forgotten
0: film. I don't run into people who bring this movie up with me too often. N- no, I mean, I haven't. This is similar to, I mean, f- almost Full Monty in 1997, where it was just like, oh, yeah, like you. it's a movie title that when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like whatever happened to that movie? It's like I heard it you know, a billion times within the span of one year and then little to never again after that. Um, so it definitely is sort of in the vacuum of, of 2007. Well,
1: I'm, I'm going to come out um, at the top. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come out from the jump right here and say that I liked this movie. I enjoyed this this rewatch of it. What, it, what were your just uh, knee-jerk reactions to it?
0: Yeah, I, I would say I agree with you. It was my first time viewing it, and uh, I really dug it. I, I it, it definitely, it's pretty clear to me why it's sort of in the position it's in, in regards to it. It not, you know, kind of really staying like super relevant or top of mind as time has gone on. Uh, but watching it, it is very impressive, effective, engrossing, and... Um, and and t- it it it's airtight it felt very like a, for what it was it is very good what what specifically did you like about it i liked that th- so the general feel genre of the movie felt like this is an adult movie Like, this is taking place in, you know, kind of the, the, uh, very much the high powered business world. It's full of legalese, uh, loopholes, um, just very, very high powered professional people. Just the hotel phones, the, the conference rooms, just the whole. It it just feels like as a kid, it'd be like, if you just were to glimpse this movie, you'd be like, oh, this is, this is what mom and dad like. And I felt that way. This is not for me as a 10 year old. (laughs) Yes, yes. And, uh, so, but, and so, you know, using that like me as a ten year old, that's like me as a thirty three year old currently. And so, so, it, to me, it was like, okay, this isn't a movie that I would like gotta watch Michael Clayton tonight, but knowing that it is sort of a legal thriller. I thought it was extremely effective, despite the fact that it took place in this world and, and borderline. You know, at times was like I'm not super sure what they're talking about or what's going on. It, the, it felt like the the craft of the movie and the and the storytelling was was there every time and resulted in very moving, very effective, uh, kind of gut wrenching scenes. So I I really respected the fact that like it transcended a a genre that to me it it, it if not handled with the you know carefulest ablest hands could very easily just be like I hate this and I'm turning it off halfway through it like transcended its its genre. Okay, well you touched on a couple things that I want to point out there. One
1: is that the mood of this movie is really good and in- interesting. Yes. It, and well, you live in New York. I spend a lot of time in New York and mm-hmm. so we're we're familiar with the city and mm-hmm. what I really liked about this and you know tell me if you can relate you know, you go to a bar downtown or you like go to a party downtown or you go to a comedy show downtown or something like that. And you're sort of walking around on the streets and there's these like faceless monolithic skyscrapers all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, and I like the, the fantasy this film gives to what the hell is going on in these skyscrapers, because it feels very accurate, even though I, have no right to say that
0: uh that's so well put man that's so well put it's like a it's like the you know Tony Gilroy the writer director of this it's like easy to imagine him just kind of strolling around the financial district kind of like look looking for you know a good movie idea and just kind of looking up at one of those buildings and being like yes and just starting from that point of like what happens up there that is It it feels like an abstraction of that that is so that's so nail on the head because it
1: is fleeting, you know, like if you're in New York, you do spend time walking around these types of building and of you course. have these fleeting thoughts, um, but never to the fantasy that Michael Clayton has now, you know, given me to attach to those, to those anonymous uh, steel giants.
0: Yes, totally. I mean, it, it, it's like, <laughs> I feel like the working title of this movie would be Businessman the Movie. It does such a good job of like using the specifics because like there was also part of me too when reflecting on the movie of like just trying to get inside Tony Gilroy's head and like hypothesize what was the seed or germation of the idea it was sort of like I wonder if he like met someone who was a fixer or like someone who's like oh yeah this guy's our fixer and him being like hang on hang on hang on what do you mean he's the fixer because it's just like it's a world like to me it was like you know the the movie delivers the information of like yeah of course this is the, this is the guy who's the firm's fixer and it was sort of like I mean, I've heard of that in like Law and Order, you know, reruns before, but like, what? Like, it, that's a real thing. So it's like, to me, it's like a profession and a pocket of professional world that is ripe for like, hang on, who is this guy? Because he he does have like a cowboy, like a lone, uh, lone ranger type quality to him, where he's like, you know, it's set. He's like, he has this niche, uh, these niche skills that like, hey man, you know, you could be partner, but. You have special skills, not you. And so he's like kind of this like wrung out lone ranger who's just like doing his thing he's really good at and clearly just like it's just tearing him apart. Well, and that's... So to
1: go back to when you were kind of talking about like the legalese, the dialogue, you know, back to the vibe of the film, I really like how they really drop you into this.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. They don't... Yeah, they don't explain to you what a fixer is. They don't... You know, like a traditional film, I, I feel like... Sort of over the first few minutes will establish set and setting. It'll establish its main character, what the main character does. You know, in what way this main character's world is going to change, like et cetera, et cetera. But this, I really feel like they just drop you right into a moment that could be happening at any moment. That conference room where there's like an army of lawyers and like phones ringing and Mm -hmm. stuff in the first scene is like such a bizarre way to drop you in and the wall street wall street journal is calling and the dialogue is all like super sharp and it's enjoyable to watch but at the same time if you haven't seen the film before or you're oblivious to this world you're like what the hell is going on here who are these people what are they all doing what time is it yeah i kind of like that
0: yes that's a great point because that was the position watching it uh for me was just like you know, you're just kind of trusting the movie that it's going to take care of you, despite the fact that you're feeling like, wait, 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 wait. This is a fire hose of like information right now. What is happening? And you know, it's but you know, like that whole opening sequence going to him, like going walking up to the horses and his car exploding, and then it it you know goes four days earlier. You're like, wait, okay, 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 and it it does it like it doesn't hesitate to drop you in like the middle of a war zone and being and just it just it it, it treats you with a lot of intel. Like you have a, you're, you're an intelligent being, which is always nice and kind of complimentary
1: yeah like when we spoke about Titanic which I guess will probably be released after this episode but we Mm. sort of talked about how it was so accessible that there's no way you couldn't get the movie like understand what's going on yeah this is sort of the opposite of that that if you're not sharp in the beginning of it I feel like it kind of the film
0: can kind of leave you leave you in the dust yeah and I think that that is the biggest reason why this movie didn't uh endure is just because the Barrier to entry is is high for this movie. I mean you do have to be engaged with it uh, from the jump. It, it's a very smart, intricate movie and it's for what it is is extremely good, but I think just by the nature of it being smart and intricate, it just kind of this isn't a movie that you just pop in and turn your brain off and escape. It's like no, I need to be engaged and 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 really be be uh, present for this movie to, to really get what it, what it's giving.
1: Yeah, and what did you think of the opening scene essentially over black or a very slowly growing title? Mm-hmm. This Arthur monologue happening on Michael's voicemail.
0: I mean, it is uh first of all, I wanna it may be the longest a title movie title has been on screen. Um <laughs> yes, it's certainly that, a contender true, for right? that. Um it's it, it, I, I thought it was very I mean, it was great it, at the time watching it. It, I mean, it's like the way it does what it feels like it's designed to do, which is like kind of you perk up in your chair, you're concerned, you're stressed. Uh, what you're hearing is like, OK, this when you're when you're seeing like the juxtaposition of a man who's clearly the ramblings of someone who is is mentally unstable over the clinical uh, office uh, hallways and conference rooms etc it it, it 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 you're you're leaning forward you know so to speak where it's just like hang on like what because it's like clear that this guy is professional who's rambling right now who's insane michael Clayton, like the the movie's called michael clayton like he, this is a voicemail to michael like it's already like you're peripherally cognizant of like okay this guy is this guy is like can who is this guy? Why is this guy like pouring out to Michael? Michael can fix this. Like it's setting up a very specific thing. And and it's very stark to have the, those kind of ramblings over a, a New York City, you know, law office. And you're kind of like, hang on, what is what is happening here? I actually just went back and rewatched only
1: that opening three or four minutes. Okay, It is a bold move how... Tony Gilroy also the writer gives you such essential and sage information just like right off of the bat before you can even see an image to ground
0: yourself in any sort of hmm. reality of this of this world. Hmm. I mean what like what are like some of the like because i i I don't remember like just because it was like a first viewing i mean is he establishing like that there's like it's more like the themes
1: he's establishing cool and one part i really like that i wrote down and i i i I think this is a really well-written film and i do have a it's a talkie definitely like for sure yeah there's an exploding car and there's a couple like quasi action scenes but this movie is primarily delivered through dialogue and mm-hmm. in this case, really good dialogue. But one, so one part of that is Arthur is talking about, you know, he like felt like he was covered in this filth and then he thought it was an afterbirth. And then he right. realized that he's actually coming out of this asshole. And he says like, I, 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 I realized, Michael, that I had emerged not through the doors of Kenner Bacalodine, not through the portals of our vast and powerful offer, but from the asshole of an organism whose sole function is to excrete the 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 the, the poison, the ammo, the defoliant necessary for other larger, more powerful organisms to destroy the miracle of humanity,
0: and that I had been coated in this patina of shit for the best part of my life. <laughs> wow, man.
1: Wow. So that, I mean, that's like really gives you a, yeah. a strong theme of, of, of the movie, what, yeah. what these people are dealing with. These people are all like uber professional,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but they completely lack ethics and morals yes. and their sole function in the world is to avoid
0: litigation and chaos. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, I think that's part of the reason the movie is is on top of being difficult like the subject matter of it is is like i hated certain characters in this movie to a level i have not felt in a long time for like movie characters because it felt if okay this is the first time we're bringing up tilda swinton but like i know it was like i remember being sort of like unexpected that when she won the oscar for best supporting actress for this but watching this like she is so good at what (laughs) playing this character where i'm going with this is that like the way that these characters are bad like i feel like what it means to be a a antagonist or villain in a movie means generally like one like you can kind of think of what that looks and feels like these villains in these in this movie were like a, a color i had never or maybe rarely experienced in movies before where it felt real it felt like um what's interesting about this movie is that the 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 uh arthur character who is for lack of a, a better term, slightly, well, he's bipolar in the movie and he's presented as somewhat crazy. And Michael's son are the only morally, only characters who like have like a moral code or at least like living by a good moral code. Um, And then Michael is like feeling that like he can like sort of, he's tempted by that and aware of that, but he's still doing like every, every, every other character in this movie is bad, is a bad person doing bad things. But it's like in this, uh, under this facade of like the high powered business world. So it's just like, justified it 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 got under my skin in a way that a movie hasn't in a long time well i think you're really right that the villains
1: feel like uncomfortably real yeah in this film and there is there there's a big moral ambiguity the film is essentially like a character study into these characters of uh a perceived like seedy overbelly of the city yeah. And they're all successful. So they're not really striving for success, mm-hmm. which is what's so strange about them. And this might be redundant to what I just said a second ago, but it's like they all just strive to avoid chaos. Like Tilda Swinton's character, Karen, she's already successful. She's already the general counsel of this massive company. And she is, what is she driven by? Because what does she care if her company gets sued? Yeah, I mean, maybe as a general counsel, that's not what you want, but she's like reached a level of success. And to avoid chaos, she is willing to do to reprehensible, to, to murder, essentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, man. And like the, the, like, cause all of the stuff of like her, like, when she's basically asking for Arthur to be murdered, assassinated, she, she won't say it, you know? Like, she can't mean, even encounter her no. her evilness uh, no you know she A- can't A- even like oh, recognize it God. and the
1: way they cut that scene before she can actually like say what she wants yeah
0: man like it's, it's so just, twisted it's so twisted and so suffocated and rehearsed and like devoid of any any actual like humanity like it's just like it's just it's basically just like every single, like, piece of humanity in her has just been, like, squashed down into a corner, and, like, that's, like, her whole character. is just, like, squashing that down, squashing that down, squashing that down. And to me, I mean, yeah, maybe this is a personal thing, but just, like, that scene in particular where it's just, like, she won't even say it, you know, that she wants this guy killed, but that's what she wants to have happen. It's, like, I don't know if it was just because I can see people like this, or like imagine people being this way where it's like oh you think that makes you like not evil because you didn't ask directly for this person to be murdered <laughs> you like didn't it's like say it out loud yeah like it's like it's like them like it, oh my god it's like I, like the it's like if that character thinks that she's any less evil because she didn't explicitly ask for the person to be murdered like maybe she's just fucking ballistic
1: Re- rehearsed is a perfect word for it and that's what she's doing at the beginning she's rehearsing this facade which is a put together uh, successful lawyer. And that's Mm -hmm. a great that's a great scene. It's a great character introduction when she's like she's practicing her answers to these like softball questions she's about to get. And also intercutting to her just sweating in the bathroom and smelling her own filth. You know, she's like Uh, smelling that that patina
0: of shit that Arthur is talking about in the in the beginning of the film. Yes, yes. Great, great call. That is what it is where it's just like, I think her character maybe more than anyone else in the movie is like at the, like the apex of like representing all the other characters in the movie of like, just I'm suppressing my humanity to, to be professional and avoid chaos at all costs. Like it's like she is like the personification of kind of everyone else in the movie. She is the top of the mountain of that and then like every other character besides her is like a variation on one side or the other like the hitmen don't seem to need to like you know they're devoid of all humanity it, they don't seem to have, struggle with it arthur is like on the complete opposite end of that spectrum just like going nuts because he suppresses humanity for so long that it's exploded now michael is sort of in between those two things it, it, it's it's yeah, so the yeah, characters I mean, are so well, well. The characters are complex. Also, opposite from Titanic, which is as we,
1: you know, if this, if that episode hasn't been released yet, we like that film a lot. But, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it's uh, spoiler alert: Nick really likes Titanic. Um, I don't want to get into it uh, too much, but let's just say one of the best it, movies ever made. These characters are very complex. And I think this is why Clooney is also really fucking good in this movie is because yeah. he cannot
0: lean into this hero cliche. What is his character driven by? He's driven by, it feels like he is has been this fixer uh, and in this position for too long now, he didn't, maybe it sounded appealing at one point to him when he first got into it, but it's, it's long past the time where it's been something that he's found appealing. If he ever did find it appealing, it's clear that, you know, with the restaurant business and what he owes from that, that was his out, you know? So he's been clearly looking for an out for a while, has not been happy in this position for at the very least a while. I think for maybe the entire time that he's been in the position, it's just been eating at him slowly, um, and I feel like he's been past the point of wanting to, to get out of it for for a while. But given his, you know, gambling debt and debt in general, it's like he has to that's what the, I think that point of that whole subplot of him owing money was to illustrate how he's like, basically painted himself into a corner in this position. Absolutely. And I, I really like how
1: he owes a lot of money, but for how successful everyone is and how nice his suits are and seemingly how you know i'm sure he makes well in the six figures it's not an insane amount of money he owes mm-hmm. and so it makes this contrast where he is sort of driven by getting this $80,000 to pay off his debt but he's sort of like sleepwalking through yes. that desire like he doesn't really have strong desires he's just it's like a like everyone's having like a late life crisis in yeah. this movie And they're not really driven by money. They're not really driven by success,
0: but it's just maintaining. Dude, that's so well put. I think like that is, when you going back to the tone of the movie, that feels like that's what it captures and does so well. Where you're watching, I think Clooney, especially a, a movie star that you're, you know, well versed in watching on the big screen, well versed on how he acts and what he brings to a role, and it's so subdued and so nonplussed and just like you said, sleepwalking. I mean, like to me, you know, when you get that glimpse of, you know, him waiting by his Mercedes for his son to come out and drive him to school, like there's no like him asking about the mom. There's no, there's no like, oh, you know, like he, he messed up the marriage and wants to get back to it. It's just like, no, it's clear that his personal life like fell to shambles and that's just is what it is. Like he has no like, yeah, there's the movie, not even like, like love there. It, it, it avoids
1: the cl- classic Hollywood sense where it doesn't get into any of this you know it doesn't he doesn't even talk about his old marriage or what fell apart or there's no No. time where he has won too many drinks and spills his deepest fears of life like he's Mm -hmm. just trying to maintain the whole time yeah
0: well and then you get that montage you get that montage of him like just doing what he does best and you know he's on the phone he's like looking at the newspaper he's just like basically it's him and his secretary and it's very clear he's very good at what he does like you just you just see it in action like this guy is a, a consummate professional and like doesn't almost resents this ability that he has you know where it's like he's good at this thing that he hates and he's just been doing it for a while now and it's like going through the actions he's just dead like he just seems just limp and um, he's he's a prisoner of of yes, it totally that's exactly yes what it is and it's all it's interesting because like i can't Maybe this is my own mind just wanting to see this but it's like the movie is his name and by the end of this movie the the last scene of this movie really is incredibly satisfying and like the the closing credits of this movie you know you get you get his face in a taxi driving away for a reason it it, it I can't help but like kind of project this like John Wayne kind of like classic Hollywood cowboy hero figure to this character and and world and environment that is just kind of new for that where it's just like this like this this tired old you know gun for hire you know who's just doing this thing that he's really good at and he hates it and it's like will he make the right decision or won't he like it, it, it felt like a really um it was cool to see it, it to, I, I really like that juxtaposition at least that i perceived of it being like kind of a uh, classic Hollywood hero in this world that we've that is so jaded and contemporary, and devoid of any sort of morals.
1: Yeah, he's our he's our hero, but he's not
0: heroic at all. Right, except at in the end scene, which is why I think that's one of the reasons that scene yes. is so satisfying. We'll,
1: let, we'll get into like yeah. our favorite scenes of this movie, yep. but yep. <laughs> he's not, <laughs> in that scene. He doesn't even feel he maybe feels a little bit of relief. Like he doesn't even smile at any point in it. And he's not cleansed of the shit patina he's
0: living in. He's just exiting it. Oh my God, dude. He never smiled in this movie. You're right. He (laughs) never smiled in the movie. Even at the end, like at the big release (laughs) of everything, he never even smirks. This is a very unhappy man. Like a, a, a spiritually fundamentally unhappy, deeply, deeply, deeply unhappy man.
1: I want to talk a little bit about where this movie it, it comes out in 2007 and we'll talk a little bit more later about why this movie has aged well why it hasn't aged well but one thing I like about it a lot is it really grounds itself in 2007 with the technology yes yes <laughs> and it's everyone has these blackberries and they're not really smartphones but they're not really like an analog landline mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and early in the film he's in this like beautiful car but the gps doesn't really work i think because the bomb has been planted in there is yeah what yeah, you're supposed that's, to understand yeah i i found the technology to be a symbol of the characters somehow mm. none of these characters are in an iphone you know they're barely competent enough and it's somehow the, all these blackberries being held by these guys in suits who have to charge them all the time and still like, you know, need to go places instead of mm-hmm. whatever,
0: make phone calls. And what am I, am I onto something here? Do you? Yeah. You? I mean, so uh, symbolic, uh, I, I think I'm with you there. I, although in terms of being intentional symbolism, I don't think that because this movie came out fall of 2000, 2007, I believe iPhone was released in fall 2007, the first iPhone. um, so this being shot in, like, early 2007, late 2006, iPhones just weren't a thing yet. So not intentional symbolism, okay, definitely. Okay, okay, I got but you, I got you. It, then, it, yes,
1: it, I, I agree. It roots the film in a very specific time period, which is, like, yes. between cell phones and smartphones.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: somehow all the characters remind me of, like, fucking Blackberries.
0: Yes. No, that's a totally true. I mean, totally true. I mean, I think the, the biggest example for me of this was the Bluetooth headsets that the Hitmen wore. It's like, I don't know of another movie where I've seen a Bluetooth headset. Like, that is such a small window of time where Bluetooth headsets are either looking like the best option for what the future might adopt so therefore we're going to have it in this movie or it's like maybe like in retrospect something you know used for a comedic purpose or to date something but uh th- to my knowledge this is the only movie i've seen where bluetooth headsets were a presented uh without humor and uh b were were, were gen- genuinely used let let's think about it a little bit maybe we can write a um a
1: thesis on on the commonalities between the technology and the the people in this film.
0: Yeah, well, in in jumping off this just to, to to go down a rabbit hole just slightly, going back to your 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 statement about how this is sort of you know a a story that it, you know set among among the faceless monolithic. Uh, skyscrapers of the financial district. It to me is like, it's that it's the, it's the blackberries. It's the Bluetooths. It's the, like the color palette of this movie is, is the color of business suits. It's like gray, dark blue, black. It's never sunny in this film. It's always never sunny. Out. Yes, totally. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it's it just from like kind of a, a general aesthetic, it, you know, the, the, the business attire, uh, color palette matches the mood and spirit of the world and the characters within it. It, it. it works very nicely in that way.
1: Yep, I like where I like where you're going with that.
0: Okay, yeah, so we've talked about Tilda Swinton, who
1: was obviously great in this film. She won Best Supporting Actress. Clooney, a really, really solid performance from him. Yep. He was nominated for Best Actor and lost to Daniel Day-Lewis. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tom Wilkinson is really good in it as Arthur Mm -hmm. and I mean the performances are great in this film I don't remember the last time that three actors have been nominated for best acting categories in a film I didn't research this but just off the top of my head I can't I can't really recall
0: it's super rare I feel like and it watching a movie that you know again 10 plus years after the kind of buzz of it has worn off watching this like I didn't I didn't as I was watching it I was like oh Tom Wilkinson was nominated for this even though I don't remember that explicitly like watching his performance I'm like oh there's no way that he wasn't nominated for this he plays that role so well and Clooney yeah I mean like just watching it it, it, this is a movie where the quality of those performances was evident you know it wasn't like um, a Kim Basinger in LA Confidential where it was like Oh yeah, she won for this, huh? Interesting. It was like, oh yeah, these three actors are were if they were not nominated, I want to see the other performances because they're all uh, super unique performances and they're all like just top notch. I want to shout out, uh, basically
1: the the last film of his career. Sidney Pollock is great mm. in this movie too. I,
0: do you agree yeah. with me on that? I I, de- I definitely agree with you. I've, I I <clears throat> I saw Tootsie for the first time recently, uh, which he directed, maybe co-wrote. Um, but he's in that as well, and then Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, he's 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 great, and he's and he's just fantastic in this. As it, you know, when you get that first line out of him, when he's talking to the Wall Street Journal reporter on the phone, you just get like, oh man, this dude is hyper professional, hyper powerful, and not to be fucked with. He's great, man. He's great. Definitely, yeah. So I mean,
1: he's a he was a he he directed a lot of good films, but between this and Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I like, I think I'll remember him for his acting chops.
0: Yeah. uh, To me, it's like, that's rare territory where you have a renowned director who also has recognition as an actor. I feel like Spike Jones might be the closest contemporary uh, figure that we have. That's like that, where you'll see him occasionally pop up in supporting roles and like be super solid, but also is like prominently made his name as a director. Yeah,
1: but he's, like, he does a lot of, like, like cameo stuff, I feel mm-hmm. like, and, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Sidney Pollack is, like, a, the the fourth credit in this, probably. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. But, yeah, I, I think he's great, and then he, unfortunately, died, like, seven months after this film was mm-hmm. released. That, yeah,
0: that's... So, that's we're pointing I, out... Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize, like, his... That was so soon after this. I mean, yeah, wow. Um, a great dude because his character in Eyes Wide Shut is somewhat similar to this. Although I can't remember the specifics of his character, it was like another high power, high powered, uh, morally corrupt man. Yep, yeah. exactly. He played he played it to the nines, man.
1: Really good performances. It, it's it it's probably easier to turn in these types of performances when you have a really solid snappy script like this but yeah nonetheless worth worth pointing out
0: well i just want to talk about like the the realm and conquest part of this movie yeah Uh, interesting it's because it feels like
1: at the beginning it feels like a throwaway yes but as the film goes on it's like an essential and i don't know if i can completely dive into it and and break it down but it 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 becomes like a essential part of the themes of this film what what are your thoughts
0: yeah, totally. I mean, at first it, all just using it as an offshoot, the the son in this movie is uh the character of the son is played in a way that similar to how the like, you know, his broken marriage is handled, is I I haven't seen like a a son character in a movie that operates like this this character does, where he's like he's totally confident, he's very smart, and he's and he's just like kind of unflappable. Like the son is is I feel like Tom Wilkinson's character and the son are the two good, not morally uh, intact characters in this movie and in Michael Clayton's life. And I feel like realm and conquest because the son and Arthur, which is insane that they talk in this movie. Uh, (laughs) That's why they do is because Realm and Conquest like, comes to represent what is morally good. And that's uh, I think it does it in a very suave way where, like you said at the beginning, when you first see it, it's just sort of this like, oh, you know, Michael Clayton isn't listening to his son um, as much as he needs to. And it very quickly and subtly becomes like by the time that, that George Clo- or Michael Clayton gets out of his car to see the horses, it's because that's the image in the book it's like when he's looking at those horses. Yeah, there's no question that you know you, in terms of what's going through his mind, and the fact that it, that saves him from from being blown up is you know, not insignificant either. It's it's literally like those horses are realm of conquest. Realm of conquest is his son and Arthur. His son and Arthur are are goodness, and that's Our, like, are guiding him yep. from his death. Yep. Yeah, it's it's really nice,
1: and it's clear early in the film that Michael is looking for something and it's it's funny like his son is giving him what he needs at, mm. right away but he's unwilling to take in this information but everything he needs is in that book to to sort out his life somehow
0: i mean absolutely and then the fact that Realm and conquest becomes the name of the memo that's printed out that is the damnation of you north is like it's just there it's like the information that he needs that will save him
1: it's it's really it's really nice touch i also yeah. love how In anti-Hollywood fashion, it seems like a cheap and easy character development technique to make Michael a good dad. So you see him in this like sort of seedy world, but in the end, he's a good dad. You can tell from his interaction with his kid, but he's not a good dad. He's like essentially just going through the motions of like driving his kid to school, completely ignoring him. And when he's like, you know, he sees Arthur in the street and he's like locked the doors and he just like runs away from his kid in the car. like. He's yeah. not a good dad, and I like how the script doesn't give in to that easy save the cat technique.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great call, which begs the question, like, whatever the dramatic underpinnings of this movie are, where we are rooting for, where we don't hate Michael Clayton, and, like, we don't necessarily, I mean, it, I guess it depends on the viewer, we certainly hate Tilda Swinton, we hate those hitmen, uh, Arthur we like, you know, but it's like it's it's it feels like for most of the movie, there's this ambiguity to almost everything, and yet it's never um, at the expense of of the audience being involved in the movie. Like we are we are with it every step of the way. Michael Clayton is this he's not a good guy. He's good at what he does, but he's not doing good stuff yet. Like we're there with him. We're not off put by him, and if we are, it's we're still we're still hanging on. Like to me, again, I don't know. I think it's just a testament to the craft of the movie that that it, it, it seems like a no-brainer watching Michael Clayton, but I imagine that's extremely difficult to, to pull off.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really important for the lead to be, I mean, I don't know, handsome, charismatic. Yeah. Something makes us like Michael from the beginning, even though he has few redeeming qualities.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man, the more we like articulate this, because it, it, this was the general feeling from watching the movie, is like it just, it does make you feel like shit in a certain way, where it's just like this world and it feels like a little too real and like villainous in, in a way that's like just a little too like, oh yeah, this is, I think, how high powered business can operate. It, it makes you sick to your stomach. I mean, it's like real poison. It's not like movie poison, it's like real poison. <laughs> Yes,
1: that's that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. There, yeah, there's man, there's a lot of meat on the bones of this film, and it is yeah. ambiguous and complex.
0: But it's, I'm enjoying chatting about it. Definitely, me, me too, man. I mean, it, it it again. It's like going back to the thing of like, why is this not a movie that you know has stayed top of mind as the years have gone on? I think it is a a byproduct of kind of what the movie, how it's designed. I mean, just it's an off putting world, and it's a lot of sad people and subject matter and it's and it's a little difficult and so i think like just by that it's like titanic the one of the highest grossing movies of all time is not any of that and and this is this is the unapologetically this is unapologetically a difficult movie subject matter anyway you want to get into some
1: to to some scenes this this movie i mean so it is we talk about it being a like there's a little bit of barrier to entry it's a little bit complex it's not something you can like you know, flip through Instagram while you're watching. Not that I ever fucking do that, but just in general. Same. <laughs> but it is like, I feel like there's a rewatchable quality to it. I almost like want to go watch it again and it moves quickly and there's a ton of good scenes. And
0: yes, I think, I think that now that we're talking about it, it like makes me want to rewatch it because it makes me realize the layers of it. Cause it's like, you know, it's the type of thing where it's like, if you're watching a movie once and for the first time and it's a good movie, uh, you know, it affects you and, and it, it it's an effective movie. Um, and then talking about it, you're like, oh, yeah, here's maybe why it was effective. It's like this movie is very dense with that, especially when it's like a movie where it feels like it's a script movie. Like the screenplay to me is like, that's where this all starts. And granted, that's technically true for all movies. But like particularly, like you said, this is a talkie. You can watching it armchair Movie watcher can recognize that this the script of this movie is is particularly good. I think just the craft is like on full display here. And I think, yeah, I just to rewatch it would be just dive deeper into that and recognize, you know, really the buttons and strings that are being pushed and and pulled. Agreed. So, yeah, let's jump into some good scenes in this movie.
1: And there's plenty of them. What what are some of your favorite scenes?
0: The first thing that jumps to mind is Tom Wilkinson's death. Oh,
1: my God. That scene is fucking
0: harrowing. I mean, harrowing is the perfect <laughs> word for it. Because it, I, I think it's a one Okay, I think so too, yeah. And it is, for a movie that the camera work is very reserved, it's a movie that does not have a lot of flashy camera work. This movie, the sequence, sorry, the sequence really sticks out and is the epitome of just these two hitmen, faceless, clinically killing a man. And they in the in the most clinical way I've ever seen a movie character be, be killed. It's horrifying because it, it
1: almost comes out of nowhere. You know that Tilda yes. Swinton has, you know that Karen has initiated this, at least initiated this conversation, but it, it, it's shocking nonetheless. And yeah, it's so methodic how they kill yes. this guy. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Like when they're like, okay, we're walking, we're walking. Like just like everyone else in this movie, these guys are trying to avoid chaos and they're doing this as part of their job with no morals or ethics attached. Yes. What a horrible way to go where you get the feeling that Arthur is completely conscious through this entire, yes. conscious and helpless through this entire thing. And, and as a smart guy, he's realizing what is happening yes. and he's unable to do anything about it.
0: Haunting, It's so haunting from beginning to end the scene. Looking at it now, looking at the description on Wikipedia, is they electrocute him with a cattle prod before injecting him with a fatal overdose of an unknown drug. Um, I didn't notice the cattle prod, that it was particularly a c- cattle prod. Worth noting that devices used to kill cattle as weapons in 2007 movies. Uh, this was uh, uh, interesting <laughs> to had yeah, this movie come out within months of... Uh, no Country for Old Men is interesting. It's truly brutal. I mean, they inject it between his toes and to see his like, hand, his arm like twitch, it, it's brutal. It is brutal. And because the, the rest of the movie, it makes sense that the sequence is like kind of flashy camera work, I think. Because it's one take, really emphasizes the like me- methodicalness of it, as well as it's the only one of the only scenes where, amongst legalese, high-powered people who are not touching with a 10-foot pole any actual dirt the man being killed, like to, to see that unfold just brutally and really what's happening because, you know, we are talking about 400 plus deaths from, uh, you know, of consumers from this like weed killer. That's never, you never see a dead body other than this. Like that's really what is at stake and to see it just unfold so abruptly and methodically out of nowhere really packs a punch and also drives home like really what's at stake in the movie and what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's the classic one gunshot, well timed with so much weight behind it, is more effective than four hundred gunshots in an action movie. Yes, like I remember, I will remember this scene more (laughs) than I'll remember whatever movie where where uh, the body count, you know, L A Confidential, for example, where the body count is eighty or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. I'll quickly interject that the the cinematography is understated in this movie. It's not flashy, like you're saying, but it's really nicely done, mm-hmm. I think. And it is shot by Robert Elswit, who won Best Cinematographer this year, correct? For There Will Be Blood. I did not
0: know this. Solid year for Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not bad. Not bad. Wow. It's insane to me more so that the, these movies came out within months of each other but that they were shot by the same guy. Like these are two extremely different very
1: different styles, yeah.
0: Styles. Wow, that that really is that really is something.
1: I a scene I really like. Let me pull it up. Oh god, can I find the quote? God damn it. Why? Well, I thought this was a good quote. Like this would pop right up, but apparently this is my own hot take on it. Um, what uh what is it it's this it's the scene when Michael and Arthur first meet in person in like the Milwaukee prison yeah. or jail yeah yeah and Arthur's starting to like explain his realization and he's he does a great job of sounding insane but completely sane at the same yep. time and in that scene and I think this sort of encapsulates a theme that the movie's going for these successful wealthy individuals struggling to find, waking up to try to understand what they're doing with their life, where they're at in the world. Yeah. And it's Arthur talking about how many hours they've billed on the U North case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I look up and there's Marty in my office. He's got some champagne. He tells me we just hit 30,000 billable hours on U North, and he wants to celebrate. So... An hour later, I find myself in a whorehouse in, in, in Chelsea with two Lithuanian redheads taking turns sucking my dick. I, I, I'm laying there, and I'm trying not to come, and I want to yeah, make it last. So I start doing the math. I think 30,000 hours, what is that? That's a 24 times 30. That's 720 hours in a month, 8,760 hours in a year. Arthur. No, wait, 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 because it's years. It's lives. And The numbers are making me dizzy, and you know now, now. Instead of trying not to come, I'm trying not to think, and I can't stop. I mean, is is this, is this me?
0: Am I this this freak organism that's been sent here to sleep and eat and and defend this one horrific chain of carcinogenic molecules? Is that my destiny? Is that my fate? Is that me. you promised? Is that
1: it, Michael? Is that my Grail? To let the miles on my cock. Is that the correct answer to the multiple
0: choice of me? Good God! Yes, <laughs> damn. Right, that really drives home like uh, a yes. point this movie is trying to make. Somehow, yes, yes, yes. Where it, I mean, that totally is it. And in this scene, it's it's significant to me that Michael Clayton's reaction to all of this because you can't face that point that he's making. You can't. I don't know how you can defend against that point, but Mike. But Michael's approach is you didn't take your meds. You stopped taking your meds. You need to take your meds again. Like it's, it's not, it's not even addressing that, that moral clarity where it's just saying, you you said you were going to take your pills and you didn't take your pills. We need to get you back on the pills. That's yeah. it. That's all and, it is. And us as the audience are like, Michael, listen to this right? dude. Like <laughs> yes. this dude is onto something, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Really cool that the quote unquote crazy character in the movie is the only one the audience is siding with the only one making any damn sense. Yes. Is the quote unquote crazy person where it's like, this is a movie that is all villains. It's also it particularly about that sequence. It's really nice how it's established just through showing how Michael doesn't want anyone to know about this, him constantly glancing over his shoulder to see if the cops are, you know, looking at them, if, it, you know, if, if these ramblings by Arthur are, are, are getting any attention like him, it, it just it perfect without stating it, just showing how Michael Michael's character operates of like, we need to keep this as small as possible few people as possible and his head is on a swivel you need to take your pills you can just see him perfunct- perfunctorily just doing his job and how he does it how he and he's operates good at it, it. <laughs> he's good he's good and it, and it and you can see it coming at the cost of just like him feeling anything
1: what else do i like i like the scene when he finds arthur walking through the streets of soho with the baguettes yes that's I love an- the big bag of baguettes yeah that's another nice scene where Arthur is walking this line of like sounding crazy. This guy's off the rocker a little bit, but then he can just snap into his lawyer jargon. He can snap into clarity and mm-hmm. you realize that that scene really makes you realize maybe Arthur isn't crazy and he has clarity because he's as sharp as he was before ostensibly.
0: Yes. I also love any movie monologue or scene that has a character who is at the top of their game. Like, the character themselves is at the top of their game not to be fucked with. Kind of daring another character to fuck with them. Where he just goes, <laughs> Tom, Tom Wilkinson's like, trust me, Michael. The place you don't want to see me is in court. Like, that whole monologue, like, leaning up to that is just so, it's great. It, it It's so satisfying. Yeah. You're not an attorney. You're a bag man. That's the first time we yes. hear that. Yes. Also really, yes. Uh, Yes. The sequence is great. And I feel like just it's so financial, like the, the, the setting of it is like, you can just see the financial district. It's like a back alley of the financial district, which are always like very clean and borderline, like just as walkable as the sidewalks. It, it to me was very vivid to just see this like
1: encounter. I like the scene when he's driving his son back from the birthday party after they've uh-huh. seen the junkie uncle and he's like talking to his son, and he's like, you're not going to be one of these people who goes through life wondering why shit keeps falling out of the sky
0: around them. Well, I th- and I think the, one of the reasons that scene sticks out is because it may be the, one of the only times in the movie where we see Michael state how he feels about himself. Because you get his worldview from that, what he's saying to his son, his regrets for how he's lived his life, the regrets for like the world that he's in and how he, how he feels about his son and what he wants for his son. It, 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 in a, in a movie where his character is, is pretty repressed. That's one of the few times where we get that glimpse. Yeah. A
1: little, a little humanity and a little less just, um, sterile
0: professionalism. Yeah. yeah. Boy, man, this movie, <laughs> any other um, scenes you want to, you want to point out? Well, I'm going to jump to the last one. If, if, you don't have anything. Yeah, we that do. A couple of months ago,
1: before we were really recording this podcast, we started discussing movies with perfect endings. And I'm not yeah. going to give this a perfect ending score, but this is a very nice, satisfying ending. And it comes at a point when you don't necessarily know we're in the third act of this film right now. You don't know that it's coming to a close.
0: Yeah, it it it's th- the scene... It feels almost that the movie is designed for this last moment. That's how good it, it, and satisfying it is because it's a surprise through most of the scene. It's the first time you're seeing one of these characters, Tilda Swinton, the again, the villainous of villains in this movie, face comeuppance. And going back to how satisfying it is to see a movie character who is the best at what they do threaten another character, they're another character to, to go get after them – this is even I would say better than more satisfying than the alleyway scene with Tom Wilkinson where he's just like, but I'm not the guy you kill. I'm the guy you buy. Yes. Yes. It's just, he just hands it to, to this villain and, and it's so satisfying to see and it's so satisfying. Because as an audience member, it, you think it's going one way. He's going to be bought off. And that makes sense for you know what we've seen of Michael Clayton. And it's happening so quickly. You're not necessarily like reflecting like, oh, I wish he would just turn her in. But you are feeling that even though it's just happening in front of you. But him being like, yeah, pay me off $10 million. $10 million would be hard. And then he's like $5 And you're like, oh, man, he's negotiating. Nice. And then to see him bump it back up to 10000000 million, you're like, fuck yes. Fuck yes. And then the reveal, and- this is great.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 great because you think at this point, because the only thing, although Michael is clearly trying to exercise some demons throughout this film, the only thing that's really driving him is this 80,000 bucks, which is not even so he can go spend the money, but it's just to like get him out of this clear. prison he's in. Yeah, yeah. You So we've been with Michael for two hours now and it's not clear that he's not actually negotiating here. You can totally believe right. in the realm of his character that he's like he wants his 10 million bucks. Yep. And, and he's while gonna that's go off into the sunset. A little bit satisfying, it's even more satisfying when it's revealed.
0: Yes. And to get, and then to get the him in a taxi and the credits over that is is very nice. It's yeah. very a very satisfying off into the sunset this man has just like made a has finally stood up for some like actual morals and it just feels like such a release like he's done with that world he did the moral the morally right thing to do and is now gone it it was very 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 satisfying yeah all right I think that's a good uh a good wrap on on some of the the
1: best scenes in this movie but yeah it's full of them it's a pretty engaging movie it's pretty fast to
0: watch yes absolutely I would definitely recommend this if you have any any inkling or interest in watching uh in in checking it out, you should you should definitely you will not be disappointed. If you're in the I think we've spoiled a lot here. (laughs) So I hope you've seen it if you've made it this far into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I hope you've yeah. That's uh that's a that's a fine point. It's a fine
1: point. Uh any what what you know I so let's talk about what we didn't like about this film. And I, I was sort of thinking that you might not like this film that much because a Fair, theme yeah. of what we've been talking about is you tend to be drawn to the heart in movies. And while this is very sharply made, it's very well written, it's very well acted, it's almost devoid of heart, you could say.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's there's the humanity of this movie. It, this movie like the story, the feel, everything, it the, the movie is, it feels like it operates from having humanity taken out as much as possible. Um, it's it is lacking
1: humanity. So that's not a, necessarily a criticism from me, but I I sort of no. thought maybe you wouldn't be that into it because because of this.
0: That's a definitely a fair a fair judgment. I I I think the main reason I liked it is because the movie transcended all of that lack of humanity, everything about it felt intentional, like it felt so tightly orchestrated that it, tra- it, it, it was this to me, the movie has heart. It's just set in a world that doesn't have heart. And and that's a very different distinction. Like by the end of it, you you're ostensibly cheering for the, the the you know quote unquote hero of the movie. What's sad is so satisfying about the ending of this movie is because Hart has persevered. It's a very serious movie. It knows exactly what it's doing in every conceivable way, and it transcends that. It uses the machinations of the genre to to its to tell its story. It 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 feels none of it is wasted. None of it is is sloppy it just it feels so tightly designed it, it it was i thought it was it was great i agree but yeah, uh, any any nitpicks here <sighs> i mean only personal taste again the movie it was it, it's a sign that the movie was a success in that i hated those hitmen so much the fact that they i i envision them thinking themselves like professional and good at what they do and therefore maybe not evil i just i could not stand those hitmen and, I, and, the, and that's intentional from the movie the way the movie's made so no i don't i, do, I don't know that i have a ton, like a lot of nitpicks i don't have much i i just a noticeable
1: plot point that doesn't make that much sense but probably because the film is so tightly wound that it, it sticks out a little bit more is the whole horse scene when he gets out of the car, and then the hitmen blow up his car, like from off in the distance? Like, why wasn't his car blown up on his way to Westchester? Why wasn't it blown up in Manhattan when after the poker game? That seemed like a little bit convenient storytelling for me.
0: Okay, it, and I don't know specifically, but I thought it was either because they had to be a certain proc- within a certain proximity of the car to ignite it. Okay. Or maybe there's a combo two of them wanting to get out of a populated area. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure I'm not, either. I like the and the horse scene, it's a little bit
1: silly in some ways, a but bit, I, I do bit. like how he is drawn to these horses because they are representative of this book that both his son and Arthur were so attracted to. And mm-hmm. I like how they're like wild horses yeah I don't know if you noticed call. that or I don't know if they're not. wild, but like they don't have saddles on them, and, and Michael no sense, is a yeah. guy, Michael is a horse with a saddle on him, yeah, he's but been he's broken. like yeah, yeah he he needs to he needs to get that saddle off and get away from this world like these horses do as quickly as possible, so there's stuff to like about that wow. scene, but it it feels a little bit silly
0: yeah. <laughs> i like I like. Oh, in our nitpicks, we we naturally came around to just praising the depth of this. Of this Dude, scene. yeah, <laughs> I mean, we, I there hasn't it, been good.
1: There, we haven't made a lot of jokes this episode. Uh, no,
0: <laughs> no, this I, is it, it, uh, it, it, go ahead. It, it's reflective of the praise the movie got when it came out. It 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 is so tightly wound. It's it what one would hate about this movie that it's serious, devoid of heart. It's all intentional. It's hard to to pick apart. Definitely. I, I think the film has aged really nicely. It somehow
1: feels relevant today. I don't want to get into mm-hmm. politics and I can't say that these this is actually how, you know, these 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 empty conference rooms in these faceless skyscrapers are actually operated in. But it somehow mm-hmm.
0: it feels relevant. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think my knowledge of business is close to nothing, but I think it's a very timeless thing to have high-powered business people protecting to profits. F- yes, angling things to their benefit. Yes, I think this has aged very well.
1: For for how glowing we both are about this movie, like mm-hmm. I said at the beginning, it it was largely absent from our recap of two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm.
0: After seeing it, would you uh, make any changes to your to your top five? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think this movie. As good as it is, there's no question to me why it hasn't endured like other movies from 2007. There's accessibility issues, the difficult subject matter, the potentially off putting tone.
1: The darkness, yeah. Po-
0: the darkness. It, it it makes sense that this movie I'm glad this movie was got the, the accolades and nominations at the time, but it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make my top five. How about you? So yeah, I think that after this viewing,
1: this movie has a it has some relevance still today, and I think it will still have relevance in 20 years, and I think it would have relevance to someone who would watch it in the early 90s, let's say. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of that and the sharp filmmaking and the general rewatchability of it, if we went back and redid the 2007 episode, I would probably bump Atonement off my list and replace it with Michael Clayton in my okay. number five spot
0: okay fair
1: yeah I think it was like appropriately praised at the time and it got lost in a shuffle of a very solid year in film and it makes it makes sense I don't think this is quite a no country or there will be blood territory but it's like a Mm -hmm. really really solid movie I can't I can't say that enough Please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player, whether it be Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or some obscure podcast player that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have enjoyed the show and you have a moment, please leave us a good review. Both of these things are really helpful for allowing uh, people to find this podcast and and, and hopefully for us to uh, be able to continue recording it. Yes, We'd love to hear from you. If you agree with us, disagree with us, or have your own hot takes, feel free to send us an email or a voice memo to theoscarwento at gmail.com. And if we think you're onto something, we'll either read your email on the next episode or we'll play your voice memo. So, good way to interact with our fans.
0: Absolutely. And if you just want to say, I feel like, say hey. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just say hey. Uh, maybe we don't want to say our fans yet with uh, with two episodes. This is maybe presumptuous, but a good way to interact with our listeners. There we go.
0: Listeners is yeah, yes, modest, <laughs> compelling, good, very, good. very compelling. And then finally, <laughs> finally,
1: if you have a film you'd like us to talk about, we're always looking for a good candidate for a deep dive like this episode. So shoot us an email and tell us why you love or hate a film,
0: and we'll consider it for our next uh, our next deep dive. It is. I'm 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 waiting for that email to be like, I hate this film. You you two must must do a deep dive on it. I because the, the the yeah. Just if you're indifferent about a film, just no indifferent films. Okay, we don't want a yes, film that you're we, indifferent. We don't want an a film you're apathetic about. <laughs> Please, we've receiving nothing but emails with people with movies, recommended movies that they just don't feel really one way or the other. Please. None of that. This movie's kind of blah. Maybe you can talk about it for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, It's that weird combination of them being, yeah, you know, this movie is like whatever, but you must do a deep dive on it, please. All right. All right. Let's let, um, let's people, let people get on with their lives. here. (laughs) Fine. Um,
1: All right, Nick, it's been a pleasure. Let's make like a tree and, get out of here I I
0: I I love it all right uh thank you Max and thank you dear listener we'll see you next time see you next week with Ratatouille